Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless Possible. biggest model of the 90s and noughties. So how did some grainy photos on the cover of a UK tabloid almost bring Kate Moss's career completely undone? Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Hello. Hello, Zara McDonald. How are we feeling? We're feeling really good. This is the first of our two-part series on Kate Moss. I mean, on this show, we've covered the lives and scandals of some of the biggest women in pop culture. We've done Taylor Swift, Miley Cyrus, Rihanna, Kylie Minogue. A lot of musicians, but I am very, very excited to talk about a supermodel's career, particularly Kate Moss's career and life. I think it's like something about a British celebrity that just has a place in my heart. Well, I think for us, when we were covering the Jude Law, Sienna Miller scandal, Mm. there was so many times that Kate Moss's name popped up in our research, particularly around, you know, the Primrose Hill set and their intense partying days. I also found it really interesting, very recently, she did an interview with the BBC's uh, Desert Island Discs. Your favourite. My favourite. And... I remember hearing in that interview that she doesn't do many interviews and I thought that makes sense because I've actually rarely heard much from Kate Moss over the years. Yeah. She actually, I didn't really know what her voice was going to sound like. I was about to say, I was trying to hear her voice in my head and it's kind of hard to reach for. Yeah, and I think that's why a series like this for me was always so intriguing because I'm like I actually know very little about the woman behind the brand and the name yeah a hundred percent I mean we also really wanted to explore her well-documented love life right like Kate Moss's relationships have been as widely reported as her career milestones we know that she's been in long-term relationships with the likes of Johnny Depp and Pete Doherty and the Johnny Depp stuff is obviously interesting super interesting and super relevant in 2022 I mean Kate had to literally sit in a courtroom and testify about that relationship this year in Johnny Depp's court case with 
Amber Heard. So I feel like that very widely publicized celebrity story really dragged back a whole bunch of stuff about Kate Moss in the 90s as well. Yeah, I totally agree. Shall we rewind all the way back to 1974? We are going to Croydon in South London. All right, Zara. Kate Moss was born in January 1974 in Croydon, a large town in South London. Her dad was a UK travel agent. Her mum was a barmaid and housewife. Yeah, so Kate is the eldest of three children. She has a younger brother and later gained a half-sister. She has spoken about how growing up she was always looking for a way to get out of her hometown. She once said, as far as growing up in Croydon went, it wasn't a time I look back on longingly. I was keen to get away. It did sound less about her family and far more about a real curiosity for the world. Yeah, 100%. Kate said that because her dad used to work with the airline Pan American, her family used to go to America every summer. She said, we travelled a lot when I was a kid, so I knew that there was a big world out there and I remember coming home from a holiday once and it was raining and grey and we got in my dad's beetle and it was cold and I remember thinking I like American cars I like the way they smell those rental cars in America I like the way they had those big seats in the front that you could sit across so I already had the motivation to get out of Croydon Yeah, on the other hand, she also said that Croydon really humbled her and actually prepared her for a future in the spotlight. In an interview she did with showstudio.com, she said that in Croydon, if you, and I quote, get above your station, somebody will fucking knock you back down. You can't go around with airs and graces at all and I would never want to. When I see people do that, I think they look like... I don't get it. (laughs) She doesn't hold back with her language. We're going to learn that increasingly as this series goes. I think it might be the first series we ever have to actually beep a word. It might be the first time on Shameless that we've ever had to beep a word, but we do actually have standards here, and that is probably (laughs) one word we cannot properly air to the public. Despite what you may believe, Shameless does have some standards, and the C word... Does not meet the standard. We know where our bar is. Now, Kate's mum and dad split up when she was 13. She lived with her mum, but her brother went to live with her dad. She told Desert Island Discs in that recent interview that I touched on that she would see her brother at school, but it was all a bit dark. A little bit of parent trap to that arrangement. A hundred percent. It's an odd one to have your parents split and then the kids be split down the middle as well and say, well, we'll just have one kid a hundred percent of the time. You don't really hear about that happening anymore. You really don't. Kate was discovered as a model in 1988 when she was just 14 years old. She was actually at JFK airport returning from a holiday to the Bahamas with her brother and dad when she was actually spotted by a woman named Sarah Dukas. Now Sarah Dukas was the founder of British modeling agency Storm. Sarah has given some really interesting quotes about the moment she spotted Kate. She said, it was 1988 and I was at the airport after a trip to see friends in California. I saw this girl sitting on her suitcase near the check-in desk. It turned out the family were on standby. Her father worked for Pan Am. They'd been on holiday in the Bahamas but had to get back to the UK for her grandmother's wedding. She had such a beautiful face, amazing cheekbones. Sometimes you just see someone and you know instantly. 
I mean, some scout to be able to see her straight away. That was my dream as a teenager, to be spotted in an <laughs> airport or somewhere mysterious and someone say that I was so beautiful, I had to be a model. And they had to pay you to do it. <laughs> Sarah actually didn't approach Kate at first. Sarah's brother, Simon, was actually one to make his way down to where Kate was sitting because they ended up getting on the same flight. And he told her that his sister was a modelling agent and wanted to meet her, so Kate agreed. Weird story. Sarah explained she recognised me from the clothes show and said she'd think about it. So Sarah at the time had something of a public profile. She was on this reality show in the UK all about fashion and modelling, so Kate recognised her. Kate said that when she told her mum that a modelling agent had approached her, her mum was, and I quote, like, oh, I don't think you're very photogenic. And I was like, no, neither do I. So I definitely (laughs) didn't think I was model material. Oh, I love that. I mean, (laughs) some people might think it's a little harsh, but there is some (laughs) sense of like groundedness to it. Oh, yeah. It's two-pronged. Some parents could be saying that with real like – ferocity yeah and some parents could just be saying it to be like well if the whole world's about to tell you you're beautiful I might as well keep your feet on the ground (laughs) she went on I would never have said to anybody I want to be a model because I just thought that it was vain and somebody who said that just thinks they're beautiful and I never did I just thought oh my god I'm gonna take a chance the next day Kate and her mum went to see Sarah Dukas as Sarah said the rest is history Kate signed on with Storm Model Agency in 1988 she told Desert Island Discs that she would actually go to her own castings by herself across London armed with her modelling portfolio. A reminder, she was only 14, 15 years old when this was happening. Yeah, but her parents said to her, if you want to do this, that's fine, but you've got to do it yourself. Like, you have to make this commitment yourself. The opposite of stage parents, might I say. Yeah, absolutely. She said it wasn't easy from the get-go. She actually said awfully she had a really horrible experience for a bra catalogue early on in her career. She said, I was only 15 probably and he said, take your top off and I took my top off. And I was really shy about my body and he said, take your bra off. And I could feel there was something wrong so I got my stuff and I ran away. I think it sharpened my instincts. I can tell a wrong from a mile away. Mm, apparently, Kate was also turned down by multiple fashion editors around this time. According to Vanity Fair, she was considered too short for the runway and her skinny schoolgirl look seemed absurdly out of place in a world dominated by the Amazonian curves of Christy Turlington and Linda Evangelista. Vanity Fair contributing stylist Sarah Jane Hoare said, I remember seeing Kate come into the offices of British Vogue. She had this amazing face, but her body just wasn't what we were into in the late 80s. Yeah, Kate's first sort of break came at the age of 16 when she did a photo shoot with Corinne Day for The Face magazine. It was, according to The Guardian, regarded as the single most influential style magazine in Europe at the time. Yeah, Corinne Day is an interesting person to talk about. She was an emerging fashion photographer at the time that she came across Kate Moss. She actually went on to become quite well known in the industry for her, and I quote, raw depictions of scrawny, washed out teenage models in intimate, vulnerable poses. Now, Corinne Day apparently became so dedicated to her craft that she did whatever it took to get the shot that she wanted. For example, when she once collapsed and was rushed to hospital where she was later diagnosed with a brain tumour, Corinne Day made sure her boyfriend at the time photographed the entire experience, including her terrified face as she was being taken to surgery. She loves photographing people in states of discomfort. 
Yeah, and also everything is art to her. Yes. Everything is art. Anyway, the year was 1990 and the Faces art director at the time, a guy named Phil Bicker, had been opening up the mag to a new generation of young kind of innovative talent at the end of the 80s. And so Corinne was actually asked to shoot some fashion photos for the mag. But having been away from England for five years, she had no contact with models. So she actually trawled London agencies looking for new talent and eventually spotted a Polaroid of a teenager from Croydon. Yeah, here's a quote from Corinne. She was a beauty, but there was also something quite ordinary about her. Her hair was a bit scraggy and with no makeup, she just looked like the girl next door. Now, at the time, Phil Bicker, the magazine editor, was trying to reinvent British fashion photography to make it a little more gritty and a little less glamorous. He saw the same thing in Kate Moss that Corinne did. And I quote that she represented something very real. The opposite, in fact, of all the unreal high glamour of fashion. It's interesting in fashion how every time someone new comes along, they it's hard to compliment them without like denigrating everyone that's come before it. Yeah. It's like it's in somehow negging other people. Every generation it's the same. Yeah. Whenever this happens. Anyway, he sent Corinne and a stylist down to a beach in East Sussex to photograph Kate. So it was July in 1990, as we mentioned, and 16-year-old Kate Moss graced the cover of the face. The photo showed Kate kind of fresh-faced and freckles showing, wearing a feather headdress and smiling so big she was scrunching her nose. This was also the era where models did get covers of magazines. Oh, yeah. Unnamed models, 16-year-old models, would be the ones that would sell magazines. That just would never happen today. No, I mean, mags struggle so much to even sell copies as it is, but they're continually putting influencers and celebrities on their covers to try and up sales. This is back in the day where the model reigned absolutely supreme. Now, the cover that Kate was on featured the words, the third summer of love. The shoot inside the magazine showed photos of her on the beach wearing boho clothes and in some photos, even posing topless. Now, a reminder, Kate Moss is only 16 years old at this point that she's appearing topless in massive fashion magazines. Yeah, Corinne said at this time, I encouraged her to be natural. I'd chat to her and then take the pictures in the middle of the conversation. I was trying to get the person to just bring themselves to the camera. According to The Guardian, the cover gained iconic status in the fashion world and beyond. Writer Alex Needham said that the photo shoot changed the course of fashion history. I mean, no small feat. Looking back, he wrote that... The sight of flat-chested, wonky-toothed moss wearing a feathery headdress seemed to encapsulate the euphoria of those long-distant times. In 1990, the Berlin Wall had just come down, rave culture was going full pelt, and the feeling that old certainties were being toppled by a new generation. Moss put a face to that generation. Yeah, but despite their success, Kate Moss and her modelling agency weren't always happy with those photos. According to The Guardian, Kate got teased at school for exposing her chest in the shoot and her agency worried that the photographer deliberately left in imperfections like bags under Kate's eyes that other photographers would have retouched for a magazine. Now, Kate has also since spoken about how uncomfortable she was posing topless for that shoot. Looking back, she told Vanity Fair, I see a 16-year-old now and to ask her to take her clothes off would feel really weird. But they were like, if you don't do it, then we're not going to book you again. So I'd lock myself in the toilet and cry and then come out and do it. I never felt 
felt very comfortable about it. There's a lot of boobs. I hated my boobs because I was flat chested. I had a big mole on one. That picture of me running down the beach, I'll never forget doing that because I made the hairdresser, who was the only man on the shoot, turn his back. Kate spoke about this to Desert Island Discs and she said, but the pictures are amazing. So she got what she wanted, her and being Corinne, and I suffered for them. But at the end of the day, they did me a world of good, really. They did change my career. She actually, um, it should be noted, became incredibly close friends with Corinne Day in the years after this. I found it very interesting because Farrah Storr, an ex-editor of Elle and Cosmo, actually recently wrote a Substack column that I shared on Instagram, Mish, about this interview and about this quote in particular that Kate said, which was that idea that, you know, sometimes the uncomfortable reality that people don't want to talk about is that you have to push people to the depths of their discomfort Mm. to achieve things. She said, what many now fear to say, that discomfort can often lead to excellence. It falls so short of our current obsession with safetyism and not so brave new world of safe spaces, trigger warnings and speech codes that I'm amazed the BBC didn't put a warning at the top of the broadcast declaring some listeners may find this offensive. Yeah. I read this and I just felt fascinated by the whole thing, both with Kate's admission and this idea that something that when she was so young and so uncomfortable about did end up being okay. I I feel incredibly conflicted by the whole thing. Yeah, I've thought a lot about this as well. I think one thing I would say to you and the listeners, my (laughs) opinion is that if Kate Moss is sitting here today as a fully-fledged woman saying that it made her career and that it was worth it in the end, we need to let Kate Moss have that. Like that is not for us to doubt or take away or strip from her. Like she's a fully grown woman. She's allowed to say that and believe that about her own lived experience. Along with the caveat though, that at the time she was deeply uncomfortable. Like telling the full story. Yeah, 100%. And I think as well, I think we can all agree, no 16 year old should be photographed topless today. Like I just flatly refuse that that should be the case. So I don't think this would happen in 2022. And I think if it did, there would be a huge uproar about it. I do think I agree with Farrah Storr. It's a fascinating conversation that sometimes to get the best side out of someone, if someone is reaching for pure excellence, if someone is trying to be number one in their field across the world, yeah, they need to be pushed out of their comfort zone. They need to be in situations that are not always 100% completely safe. I think if you looked at professional athletes who end up sick after training sessions or who end up at their absolute limit, they would tell you that, that if they always stayed in their comfort zone, they would never become the best in the world. Look at Serena Williams and the way her dad pushed her as a young child. I think all of this is complex. I'm not going to come to it with a black and white view. But what I will say is I I get the point that Kate Moss and Farrah Storr and the Serena Williamses of the world make that comfort does not always achieve excellence. In fact, it's often the opposite. Yeah, and I think I've been thinking about this column for so long. Like we don't normally take these massive tangents and scandal, but I've just been sitting with this for so long because I think I think it is true. I think we don't leave space in our public conversation to say some people need and want to be pushed to the nth degree. That said, there are some circumstances and some settings where I just don't think it's that appropriate. Like we mm. were talking about it in the context of our office and And I was like, this work is just simply, our work is just simply not important enough for us to push anyone to the point where they feel that uncomfortable. Like work is transactional. You should turn up to work, do your best and go home and have a full life outside of work. Like Mm. that's the important thing. But there are some elements of, of life 
where it is important. And I was thinking to myself, do I sometimes need to be pushed to the point of discomfort to do big, good things? And it's true. The times where I've been angriest or most uncomfortable and being like, I wish someone didn't say that to me or I wish that didn't happen, I look back on in a month or two to be like, thank God that happened. 100% I agree with you. I think every person will be different. Maybe you listening to this will think, I do not want to be pushed outside of my comfort zone. That makes me feel unsafe. That's your experience. That's totally fine. I am someone who really... Not in the moment. I don't enjoy it in the moment. I hate it in the moment. Do I want it long-term? Yes, push me out of my comfort zone. I feel like I get the best out of myself when I'm deeply uncomfortable. I think we need to kind of just allow room that everyone's different in this circumstance. The Kate Mosses of the world will thrive. There might've been another 16-year-old model in that position who completely capitulated after that experience. And it's up to the photographers like Corinne Day to identify that within someone. Are you pushing someone to breaking point or are you pushing someone to the edges of what's possible so that they thrive? I think that's it. I think it's like being delicate about it and the leader in the room, be it in an office space, being in a sporting coach context, being in a photographer's context, to be able to read the person they're trying to push, to be like, Mm. is this the kind of person that will enjoy this eventually or is this the kind of person who won't? Will it make it or break it? Yeah, that's the most important question. I think we are going to get back to the timeline. We're going to back to Kate Moss and the story but first a word from today's sponsor. All right, Zara. So after that iconic shoot in the face, Kate Moss actually found love. In 1991, she encountered what has since been described as the ultimate 90s love story when she fell in love with a fellow model, also a photographer, named Mario Sorrenti during a photo shoot in London. Mario was originally from New York, but he was modelling in London and met Kate while working on a campaign. So he was 20, she was about 18. Mario later said that it was love at first sight. He said, as soon as I met her, I thought, oh my God, she took my breath away. We were both really young, just kids. They actually reconnected at a chance meeting at a party in the city, which ended up with an early morning walk in Hyde Park. Kate asked him to come to the next party she was going to. He said... Then I didn't see her for a while. Then we bumped into each other and started hanging out a little bit as friends. Then I asked her out and that's how it started. Yeah, some of the Mario Sorrenti quotes about Kate Moss are really beautiful. He also once said, I loved everything about her. The way she looked, the way she smiled, how sweet she was, how funny she was, the way she walked, the way she was so at ease and carefree, the way she made me feel. The feelings were absolutely mutual. Kate once said about Mario, we were obsessed with each other. It was very passionate. We were really young. I had to go away and travel a lot to work and I remember crying in airports a lot. I'd be crying saying I don't want to go and he'd calm me and call me baby. He'd always drive me to the airport. It was one of those young relationships that you have. One of us would always be leaving to work. I even lived with his mum for a while. It was heart-wrenching a lot of the time. So when we were together, it was huge. Kate continued to model through this time. The Independent magazine wrote that suddenly she was everywhere. She actually remembers it as a time of getting on 10 flights a week and just crying all the time. Now, while the face put her on the map, her massive break came in 1992 when she shot Calvin Klein. Mm, In New York, Kate met with a guy named Fabian Barron. He's a French director, art director and magazine editor. And Fabian knew that Calvin Klein 
the man and the brand, was looking for someone who resembled the diminutive French model and singer Vanessa Paradis. Now, Vanessa had just actually turned down Calvin Klein for an ad campaign. So essentially, they were trying to find the next best thing that looked like her. Yeah, apparently Calvin Klein took one look at Kate Moss and hired her on the spot. I think this is really interesting, right? Because Vanessa ended up in a long-term relationship with Johnny Depp and so did Kate Moss. Yes. And they don't look dissimilar. They look very similar. Clearly, Calvin Klein thought they were of the same vibe. Yes. That's why they hired her after Vanessa couldn't do the campaign. Now, Kate Moss was 18 years old the year that she shot the Calvin Klein underwear ad. Different articles say, some say 17, some say 18. We're going to settle on 18. In the photo, she posed topless wearing white CK underwear with her chest pressed against 21-year-old singer turned actor Mark Wahlberg. Now, Mark was also shirtless but wore baggy jeans with the CK underwear band picking out the top. Yeah, this ad campaign was a huge success. The Guardian wrote that it, and I quote, seemed to cover every London bus in the 90s. This shoot was even more iconic than those magazine photos we spoke about earlier. This absolutely put her on the map. But again, Kate has revealed that she was really uncomfortable throughout the entire process. It's also sparked a really long-running public feud between Kate Moss and Mark Wahlberg too. Yeah, Kate was asked about the campaign in her Desert Island Discs interview and just didn't speak particularly highly of Mark Wahlberg even all these years later. She said, he was very macho and it was all about him. He had a big entourage. I was just this kind of model. When the host of Desert Island Discs, Lauren Laverne, asked Kate whether she felt objectified, Kate replied, yeah, completely, and vulnerable and scared. I think they played on my vulnerability. I was quite young and innocent, so Kelvin loved that. Yeah, in an interview with Interview Magazine, Kate Moss, admitted I was such a nervous wreck at the time Mark was such a dickhead he wasn't very nice now when those quotes were published Mark Wahlberg fired back telling a publication called nuts it was okay I wasn't into the waif thing she kind of looked like my nephew I mean she's beautiful she's a very pretty nephew but I'm more into curvy women what an art. I mean, we know that Mark Wahlberg is just one of the more problematic people in the public eye, but these maybe are, in the world. To maybe, be yeah, for sure. So we shouldn't be surprised by these quotes, but wow. Asshole. Yeah, she told Vanity Fair I had a nervous breakdown when I was 17 or 18 when I had to go and work with Marky Mark, which is Mark Wahlberg, of course, and her Brits. It didn't feel like me at all. I felt really bad about straddling this buff guy. I didn't like it. She said that after the photo shoot, she couldn't get out of bed for two weeks. She said, I thought. I was going to die. I went to the doctor and he said, I'll give you some Valium. Nobody takes care of you mentally. There is massive pressure to do what you have to do. I was really little. It was just really weird. I didn't like it, but it was work and I had to do it. She definitely has a different perspective on this shoot compared to the Corinne Day one, hey? Well, the Corinne Day photo shoot, she looks back on it with complicated feelings, yes, but I would say with mostly gratefulness. If she's saying it made my career and Corinne became a huge friend to me later on, that's a very different vibe to what she's saying about this Calvin Klein shoot. She's saying Mark Wahlberg was Was a a dickhead and it really affected me the way he treated me on set when I was younger than him. Yeah, I couldn't get out of bed for two weeks. In 2020, actually, The Guardian did an interview with Mark Wahlberg and asked him whether he'd ever made up with Kate, to which he replied, I never really had a problem with Kate, did I? I can imagine him just being so smug giving these quotes. When pressed, 
on the fact that Kate Moss had said publicly that she had a really bad time during this shoot, the journalist wrote that the conversation went like this. Well, bad time? Mark said, questioningly, apparently unaware that what she actually told Vanity Fair was that she hated having to press her naked breasts against him, that he was unpleasant about her slender figure, and that she lay in bed for the next two weeks feeling like she was going to die. The Mark Wahlberg quote went on, I think I was probably a little rough around the edges, kind of doing my thing. I wasn't very worldly, let's just say that. But I've seen her and said hello. I think we saw each other at a concert here and there. We said hi and exchanged pleasantries. I could not be more on Team Kate Moss after hearing this story. Yeah. Now, there's no denying that Kate's campaign with Calvin Klein was a massive boost for her career. She went on to become the face of Calvin Klein's fragrance obsession and Mario, her boyfriend, was hired to photograph the campaign. Apparently, Calvin Klein himself saw shots that Mario had taken of Kate on holiday and thought their real-life love story was a great tie-in with the branding. I mean, if the branding's obsession and you can get two young people who are obsessed with each other, it makes a lot of sense. Calvin Klein actually sent Kate Moss and Mario Sorrenti on a holiday to the Virgin Islands and asked them to document everything, which resulted in raw images that really captured that young love vibe, that first love vibe. But Kate said that that shoot was actually what brought everything undone. She said, I'd wake up in the morning and Mario would be taking pictures of me. I was like, fuck off. I lay like that, naked on a couch for 10 days. He would not stop taking pictures of that. But he's Italian, you know? He was like, lay down. I'll tell you when we've got it. We probably had it in the first roll. They rented us a house, just me and him and loads of film in this deserted little shack on the beach. We split up after that. When you're in a relationship with a photographer and they start abusing that relationship and being like, I want you to do this and I want you to do that. It makes you go, no, I didn't want to work all the time. And he'd be like, get up on the roof and take your clothes off. And I would think, fuck off. So fair. I would hate this. Oh, as well, like feeling like your whole relationship is being overridden by work and like this dynamic that he is constantly making you work. The object of the work. It's odd. It's this idea that like, I I, I guess with considering this, I could never be like a great artist, right? Because it needs to pour out of you 24 seven. You need to be consumed by the art clearly Mm. all the time. And I'd be like, let I'll, me live. <laughs> I'll do better work if we do it for a couple of hours a day. Yeah. Now, while things in Kate Moss's personal life weren't so straightforward, by the age of 19, she was just this massive success. But her growing profile and body of work did come with backlash. There was one controversial shoot in particular where she posed for a series of photos in Vogue. The photos were taken by Corinne Day once again and sort of featured her slouching around the flat in a scruffy hat and underwear. Yeah, people really came for Kate Moss's physique and the kind of body type that she was supposedly promoting to the world. Now, Kate was five foot seven and she was quite slim. Take this from Marcel Dargy-Smith, a former editor of Cosmo in the UK, who said at the time, these pictures are hideous and tragic. I believe they can only appeal to the pedophile market. If I had a daughter who looked like that, I would take her to see a doctor. Now... (laughs) This, I really hate quotes like this from public figures like Marcel Dargy-Smith because it makes me think, okay, let's have a conversation about body image. Let's have a conversation about impossible beauty standards or anorexia eating disorders. 
Must we make those conversations entirely pinned to one young woman? When we do that, we do more harm to that young woman than we do any good to the rest of the women around the world, in my opinion. Yeah, it's it's incredibly jarring looking back at some of these quotes, especially, to be honest, I know that in 2022, we are a little bit better at kind of documenting a range of bodies, but I would still argue, actually, we, we haven't come that far. We've pinned a lot of expectation and accountability on one 19-year-old. Like, that's a lot. I don't think anyone had this conversation properly or well at the time. No, I agree with that. ID Magazine wrote that the public were upset by this new vision of beauty in the 90s. Plus, it didn't help that the Vogue photos were published during this kind of like summer news lull, which does happen in the media when everyone's on holiday and the news cycle is a little more quiet than perhaps we're used to seeing. And when that happens and there aren't many stories around, it means that journalists pounce on any whiff of something that might get attention. As written by The Guardian, there were, and I quote, claims that Kate Moss's Vogue spread was promoting anorexia, drugs, even pedophilia. Now, this style of photograph was later dubbed heroin chic and Kate was crowned its poster girl. Asked about the shoot, Kate told Desert Island Discs, I think I was a scapegoat for a lot of people's problems. I was never anorexic. I never have been. I've never taken heroin. I was thin because I didn't get fed at shoots or in shows and I'd always been thin. It was a fashion shoot. It was shot at my flat and, you know, that's how I could afford to live at the time. And I think it was a shock because I wasn't voluptuous. I was just a normal girl. I wasn't a glamazon model and I think that shocked them. She went on and said, I was on a plane once and the lady behind the desk got all funny with me going, my daughter is starving herself to death because of you. And I was like, hello, I do eat. Yeah. Now, this heroin chic style of fashion photography really did define the mid-90s and many of the years that came afterwards. It was an era that celebrated skinny, lanky models with kind of like dark circles under their eyes, cigarettes in their mouths, straggly hair. The, The look that they had spent the last 48 hours on a partying bender. And this became a point for like cultural hysteria. Yeah, it was conservative outrage. Yeah. There was a huge level of conservative outrage. For example, at one point a few years later, US President Bill Clinton even took time out of a prayer breakfast to comment on the growing style of fashion photography. He said, you do not need to glamorize addiction to sell clothes. The glorification of heroin is not creative, it's destructive. It is not beautiful, it's ugly. And this is not about art, it's about life and death and glorifying death is not good for any society. So it was very much tied as well into this huge war on drugs. Yeah, and I am a little confused. In our research, the heroin link here, I couldn't necessarily find. Like the partying link, absolutely. The smoking, the binge drinking, the skinniness, absolutely. I don't know how heroin got attached to Kate Moss. When she said she hasn't done heroin in her life, I couldn't find any photos that showed her or depicted her doing anything like heroin for fashion photography. Like the it's a confusing era and it's confusing that we crowned Kate Moss and no one for a second seemed to pause and question that. Yeah, especially when she was a teenager. Now, we need to fast forward to 1994, Mish, because this was the year that Kate Moss actually met Johnny Depp. Their relationship sort of, as we said at the top of this episode, feels more high profile than ever at the moment, given she just a few months ago testified during his defamation trial 
after Amber Heard accused him of domestic violence. But let's actually go back a bit and talk about the early years of their relationship. Yeah, well, in 1994, Kate and Johnny met. Kate was turning 20 at the time. Johnny had just turned 31. And we know, based on where she's at in her career at this time, Kate is flourishing as a supermodel. Yeah, she's huge. She's absolutely everywhere. At this time, though, Johnny was pretty big too. He'd already risen to teen idol status after starring in 21 Jump Street. He'd established himself in Hollywood with his performance in Edward Scissorhands, which still freaks me out to this day. (laughs) He was also known for his really high-profile and notorious love life. By 1994, he'd been married once and engaged three times, including to Winona Ryder. Yeah, Winona was perhaps Johnny's most famous relationship up until this point. He had met Winona in June 1989 at the premiere of her movie Great Balls of Fire. Now, he was infatuated with Winona Mm -hmm. and this was widely reported in the media. He once said, there's been nothing in my 27 years that's comparable to the feeling I have with Winona. Five months after their first date, Johnny Depp actually gave Winona Ryder an engagement ring. He also had the words Winona Forever tattooed famously on his right bicep, but it wasn't to be. Three years later, they broke up. Yeah, the end of their relationship apparently left Depp inconsolable. He was really broken about it. A friend told People Magazine that he was so desperately in love with Winona that when they broke up, he wouldn't admit it was over for the longest time. In early 1994, Johnny reportedly met Kate Moss at a New York cafe. George Wayne, a former Vanity Fair writer, told The Face in 2019 that he was the one that introduced them to each other. He said, So Kate walks in with Naomi Campbell. They walked into this room and Johnny Depp was sitting at the back of the restaurant having dinner with a few friends. I grabbed Kate's hand and I said, Come, I'm taking you right now. I want you to meet Johnny. I just grabbed her hand and took her back there. I said, Kate, this is Johnny. Johnny, this is Kate. That was the end of it. I didn't think they'd go on to destroy five-star hotel rooms across the globe for the next two years, but that's what happened. (laughs) I just wanted to, you know, cause a little drama. Kate Moss has also said, I knew from the first moment we talked that we were going to be together. Things between Kate and Johnny progressed quickly from there. A few weeks after meeting, they were seen at an LA club called Smash Palace. Now, that was where Johnny Depp previewed an eight-minute anti-drug movie he had made. Right. A few weeks after, it's kind of ironic. A few weeks after that, the two were seen vacationing on St. Bart's. They were also spotted in April 1994 at a Johnny Cash concert. In July, after wrapping filming on one of his movies, Johnny Depp flew to Paris to be with Kate, who was walking the catwalk at Couture shows. People magazine reported at the time. Depp is even having his Winona Forever tattoo removed from his right bicep, a painful procedure that he's taking one letter at a time. At the moment it reads, Wino Forever. (laughs) A friend told People magazine at the time that Kate and Johnny can't keep their hands, lips, mouth, legs off each other. They also, though, became known for their really public arguments. In June 1994, they reportedly shouted at each other in the dining room of a Manhattan hotel. Yeah, in September that year, People magazine reported that Johnny was arrested after being accused of trashing his room at the Mark Hotel in New York. Police reportedly suspected that he had been drunk and fighting with Kate. The charges were ultimately dropped and Johnny Depp was ordered to pay almost $10,000 in damages and guest fees. Zara, as we know, the relationship did not last. In 1997, many outlets reported that they broke up. It was at some point that year, all these years later, we're not 
100% sure with what exactly went down. We just know they split around that time. Yeah, and then there were rumours that they actually rekindled their relationship in 1998 because they were spotted holding hands at the Cannes Film Festival in May, which would suggest perhaps getting back together. Back on. On that same trip, Kate Moss was reportedly reprimanded for wearing her bikini in the hallways of the glamorous Hotel de Cap and allegedly trashed her hotel room in response. This is one of the most famous, beautiful hotels in the world. Why are Kate and Johnny running around the world trashing hotel rooms? Like, what is going on here? It's fucking bizarre. And the obvious point is, like, incredibly entitled. Yeah, and also, like... This is big brat behaviour. Huge brat behaviour. Now, People magazine reported that Kate was banned from setting foot in that hotel for life. They ended up splitting for good in late 1998, according to Us magazine. And that same year, Johnny spoke about the split publicly, blaming his own temper on their breakup. He told Hello magazine at the time, I've never got that emotional over a woman before. I have been so stupid because we had so much going for our relationship. I'm the one who has to take responsibility for what happened. I was difficult to get on with. I let my work get in the way and I didn't give her the attention I should have done. Mm, interesting. Johnny also said his fame and the scrutiny surrounding his life and career got in the way of their bond. He said to Hello Magazine, the whole thing was crazy because I should never have got so worked up over what people had to say about my work. Sure, I should care about my movies, but when I get home, I should try to leave that stuff behind. I couldn't do that and I was horrific to live with. Trust me, I'm a total moron sometimes. We trust you, Johnny. Yeah, I, I can believe that. <laughs> Kate later spoke about how Johnny had always actually looked after her. She once told Vanity Fair, looking back on their relationship, there's nobody that's ever really been able to take care of me. Johnny did for a bit. I believed what he said. Like if I said, what do I do? He would tell me. That's what I missed. Mm. An interesting dynamic here, given they were 11 years apart, is that there was kind of like a, uh, maybe she deified him in many ways because he was able to tell her how to live and how to navigate fame and would be able to give her the answers to things. Yeah, saying that what she missed was having someone to tell her what to do, like someone to mentor her through life is an interesting characterization of a relationship where we know there was that huge age gap. Yeah, for sure. It didn't take Johnny long to move on though. He actually met French model Vanessa Parody in 1998 when he was filming The Ninth Gate and the couple welcomed their first child, Lily Rose Depp, the following year in May 1999. Yeah, and by the time Kate was in her mid-20s, the press had moved on to another portion of her life. They were becoming increasingly concerned about Kate Moss's alleged partying and problems surrounding substance abuse. Zara, this obsession with Kate Moss's partying would hit fever pitch in 2005 when grainy stills of her were leaked to the press doing cocaine with her then partner, Pete Doherty. Yeah, the headline when it was published was high as a Kate. But we're going to talk about all of that and how it just about nearly killed Kate Moss's career on next week's episode of Scandal. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. A huge thank you to our researcher, Justine Landis-Hanley, who helped us do all the research for this series. I love talking about Kate Moss and talking about models. Maybe this is a good start of like a model series. Yeah, I'm sure there are plenty more we can do. We will be back in your ears on Thursday for another wrap in the week that was in pop culture. Bye, guys.
Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.